Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In February of 1989, 35-year-old Stephen Turner married the love of his life, 26-year-old Carrie Daly. The Turners settled down in Durham, North Carolina, and went on to have two children together, and they got the best of both worlds, a daughter and a son that they named Alexander. They wanted nothing more than to be a family and to give their kids the most incredible life possible, so that's exactly what they did. A family friend told the News and Observer that Carrie and Stephen were generous and helpful people who were always involved with their kids. By 2010, the Turners had been married for 21 years, and both of their children were now adults. Stephen was working as the head of the IT department at Durham Regional Medical Center, and Carrie was the owner and operator of the Marina Mart in Roxborough, North Carolina, which is this little convenience store on the way to Lake Mayo where the Turners actually owned a vacation home. And while many people have a bone to pick with their bosses, the Mart employees genuinely adored Carrie and Stephen. One employee later told WRAL, I thought the world of them. I can't say nothing bad about them. Fast forward four years to the summer of 2014. At that point, Carrie and Stephen were starting to entertain the idea of retiring. They'd worked hard, made a name for themselves, and it was time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the fruits of their labor. With that, the Turners sold the Mart and made plans to do nothing but enjoy their summer. An employee told WRAL, When they sold the place, Carrie took me out to dinner, bought me dinner, me and my wife, and she gave me a check for $1,000. You can't beat that. Seriously, boss of the year. Carrie and Steven celebrated the sale of the Mart by going on a cruise. But while they were gone, shit was going down at home. Their home in Durham literally burned to the ground. WRAL reported that just after midnight on September 14th, firefighters responded to the Turner home for reports of a fire. By the time firefighters got there, the entire thing was engulfed. According to a fire report, the main part of the house was fully involved in heavy fire, and fire was starting to spread to the second story over the garages. The fire was too intense for firefighters to even go inside. To make matters impossibly worse, part of the home collapsed on a leaking gas line, which prevented firefighters from shutting it off, making it even harder to extinguish said fire. It took 45 minutes just to get the fire under control and another three hours for it to be extinguished. When all was said and done, the property loss was estimated to be $225,000. On top of that, there was $50,000 worth of personal stuff that was also destroyed. After the Turners got home from the cruise, they had no place to come home to, so they started living in their vacation house on Mayo Lake. Oxygen reports that the cause of the fire was never determined. However, detectives have said that arson was suspected. As for who might have set the fire, they only had one person of interest, Carrie and Stephen's 22-year-old son Alex, who was still living at the home at the time of the fire. According to a Mart employee who talked to WRAL, Alex's life had got sort of sidetracked, adding, things went this way and that way for him, but you know, I hate to say bad things about him. 
Back in high school, Alex started struggling with drugs and his behavior took a hit. As the years passed, his behavior escalated and he turned to stealing in order to pay for drugs. In 2009, when Alex was still a teenager, he pled guilty to breaking and entering in Durham and was sentenced to 45 days in jail and 12 months of probation. That same year, he was also found guilty of driving on a revoked license and driving after consuming. Following those incidents, though, Alex seemed to stay out of trouble with the law, at least for the next few years. As we already know, in September of 2014, Carrie and Stephen's home burned to the ground. So they, plus Alex, moved into the house on Mayo Lake. Just one month later, in October of 2014, Alex was charged with breaking and entering, larceny, and obtaining property by false pretenses in Roxborough, which is near the lake. Following those charges, Alex was sent to a drug rehab program in Horry County, South Carolina. Carrie and Stephen, being the angels they are, supported the shit out of their son's road to recovery. None of this was how they'd planned the first few months of their retirement, but with Alex getting help, they felt at ease enough to start planning for the future. With a dream of retiring down in Myrtle Beach, they started making the three and a half hour drive south to try and find a nice retirement home. At that point in time, Carrie's brother Tim was living with her and Stephen. According to Oxygen, Tim has a developmental disability that requires someone to help take care of him. After his and Carrie's parents died, Carrie and Stephen brought Tim to live with them. ABC 15 reports that by February of 2015, Alex completed his rehab program and moved into a halfway house in North Myrtle Beach. One night that month, he went to a strip club so he could go drinking, which is pretty much the worst idea, but that's where we are. While at the club, Alex sat at the bar and started talking to a 19-year-old bartender named Chelsea Griffin. According to the Roanoke Times, Chelsea was a star soccer player growing up and even wound up getting a scholarship to play soccer at Anderson University in Anderson, South Carolina. Even though she had a scholarship, Chelsea wasn't exactly happy. The Anderson team was D3, think major leagues versus the minors, and then down another division. She was disappointed because she wanted to play for a D1 team. So in 2014, she transferred to Coastal Carolina University in Conway, which is basically Myrtle Beach. Chelsea didn't end up making the team because CCU's roster was full by the time that she transferred. Chelsea still wanted to get her education, so she didn't drop out. But because she'd given up that scholarship, she had to pay for her tuition and off-campus apartment all on her own, which is why she got that job working as a bartender at the strip club. Chelsea told Oxygen that she was instantly attracted to Alex, who was now 23. He was smart and kind, and when she looked into his quote-unquote beautiful aquamarine eyes, she saw adventure. The night they met, Alex was pretty evasive about the details of his life, just that he'd grown up in Durham with his parents and sister and was in Myrtle Beach for a job, though he didn't say what that job was and probably because there was no job. After chatting with Chelsea all night, Alex left without asking her for her number, and Chelsea wasn't sure if she'd ever see him again. But he came right back the next night and the one after that. 
Finally, Alex asked Chelsea for her number, which she was more than happy to give him. They started hanging out and got closer and closer. One evening, when the two were hanging out at Chelsea's house, Alex asked if he could trust her. Chelsea told him of course he could, and that's when Alex started in with one of the most creative set of lies the land ever did see. Alex told Chelsea that after high school, he enlisted in the army and ended up being selected by the special forces, because that's how that works. Later, he said he took a job as a hitman for the Department of Defense. Again, that's not how that works, but he's making a solid effort to sound like he's some secret squirrel badass. He claimed that he was still working for the DOD and was actually in Myrtle Beach working on a domestic terrorism case. Alex went on to tell Chelsea that he wasn't happy working for the DOD anymore. It's a shame that his fake job doesn't come with imaginary HR. Alex was also having fake homicidal burnout and said he just didn't want to kill people anymore. He wanted to get out and live a normal life. We all have dreams. Alex explained that if he completed this last job, the domestic terrorism case, then the DOD would discharge him and he could finally move on. But Alex was having trouble completing the imaginary mission due to his PSD, which came from serving overseas. Chelsea, being only 19 years old at the time, believed everything Alex was telling her. Chelsea immediately said she'd do anything to help him. She said he could move in with her and she'd even talk to her manager about getting him a job. Alex accepted Chelsea's help and was set to leave his non-existent murder job and work at a strip club to begin his life of normalcy. But you guys, he had to warn Chelsea that their relationship could put her in danger, saying he'd put his own family in danger too. Chelsea didn't mind though because she wanted to help Alex escape the DOD. Alex moved in and his relationship with Chelsea only grew stronger. She was saving the fake government assassin and that, my friends, is called trauma bonding. A few weeks later, on March 4th, the couple was arrested. The News and Observer reported that an officer saw Chelsea and Alex sitting in a car next to a gas station in Surfside Beach, which is near Myrtle Beach. The couple was acting as if they were lost. They were quote-unquote talking and pointing in a manner that appeared to be a discussion about the direction of travel. When the officer walked up to Chelsea's vehicle to see if they needed help, there was a strong smell of marijuana, so he asked them both to hop out. Once they were out, the officer noticed an AR-15 on the rear floor and a 9mm handgun near the radio in plain view. Chelsea and Alex were obviously placed in handcuffs because no one needs free hands when guns are involved. When the car was searched, drug paraphernalia and marijuana were found in addition to the loose guns, so Alex and Chelsea were both arrested. Chelsea was charged with possession of drug paraphernalia and simple possession of marijuana, while Alex was charged with possession of drug paraphernalia and unlawful carrying of a pistol. Within hours, both Alex and Chelsea were released on bond after Chelsea's dad gave them the money. I guess assassin pay wasn't raking in the cash in 2015. Oxygen reported that when Alex's parents, Carrie and Stephen, found out about his arrest, they packed their bags and Stephen, Carrie, and her brother Tim all hopped in the car to make the three-and-a-half-hour drive to see if Alex was okay. When they got there, they checked into a room at the Landmark Resort with plans to check out two days later on March 6th. And this was a really nice hotel. It had a bunch of pools and water slides and even a lazy river inside.
On the night of March 4th, Carrie and Stephen took Alex and Chelsea out to dinner at IHOP, still being the endlessly supportive parents they are. That night, Alex went back to Chelsea's and stayed with her. The following day, Alex spent more time with his parents, but this time without Chelsea. As the evening rolled around, Alex decided to stay the night with his parents and Tim in the hotel. On the afternoon of March 6th, the Turners were supposed to have checked out of their room, so a housekeeper went in to start cleaning up for the next guest. But when the housekeeper went inside, she noticed that all of their stuff was still in the room. The housekeeper told the manager, who told her to start cleaning up anyway. The manager said that it was possible the Turners had just missed their checkout time, something that wasn't totally uncommon at the hotel, and assumed that they'd be back to get their stuff soon. The housekeeper did what she was told and started cleaning up, but when she moved the comforter off one of the beds, she saw that the sheets were missing and there was a massive blood stain at the head of the bed. The housekeeper called the manager, who then called the police. Officers responded to the room and looked around and figured it was possible the Turners had injured themselves on the bed and left the hotel to seek medical treatment, that they could come back soon to pick up their items. The police asked the hotel to secure the room for a few hours, and if the Turners didn't return, police would come back out. The Turners never returned. After a few hours, police went back and searched the room again. This time, they noticed a shell casing on the floor as well as gunshot holes in the bloody mattress. I'm not sure how they missed those things the first time around, but again, we are where we are. Finally realizing that something wasn't right, officers lifted the mattress and box springs and found two bodies underneath. The bodies of 52-year-old Carrie and her 61-year-old husband, Stephen Turner. Based on the condition of their bodies, it was clear that they had been there for a while. Homicide detectives were called to the scene. Oxygen reported that detectives noticed that Carrie's purse and wallet were gone. The credit card the room had been booked on was missing, so detectives kept a watch on that card to see if the killer was using it. While reviewing the room's registration paperwork, detectives saw that the Turners were driving a 2015 silver Kia Optima. The parking lot was searched, but the Kia was nowhere to be found, so they put out a bolo on the car. Detectives also found that the room had been registered to three people, Stephen, Carrie, and Tim, but there were only two bodies and there was no sign of Tim anywhere, so detectives started to worry that he could have been harmed too. Knowing another person might still be in danger, they kicked their investigation into high gear. Detectives spoke to the hotel staff and noted a few interesting details. The housekeeper had actually tried to clean the room earlier in the morning. Just after 10 a.m., she knocked to see if she could come in, but a voice inside said, we aren't ready. So the housekeeper went away for a few hours and later returned and found the mattress all bloody. Detectives found this information interesting for two reasons. One, the use of we implied that more than one person was behind the door. And two, due to the condition of Carrie and Stephen's bodies, it was clear that the Turners had been dead hours before 10 a.m., so that meant they absolutely could not have been the people who told the housekeeper they weren't ready. Detectives now needed to figure out who had been in that room. 
Detectives further spoke to the front desk clerk and found that at 9.17 a.m., a young male and female approached the front desk and asked if they could extend the Turner's room reservation. The couple didn't give their names, but they did admit that they weren't on the registration. Because of that, the clerk told the couple that they couldn't extend the room unless one of the occupants requested the extension. The young couple then left and didn't return. Next, detectives reviewed the hotel surveillance and watched as the young couple left the front desk clerk, went to the parking lot, and got into the Turner's 2015 Kia, the one that was currently missing. Detectives weren't sure who the young man and woman were yet, so they put out an APB on both. Then around four hours after Stephen and Carrie were found, Carrie's credit card was used at a Walmart in Surfside Beach. Detectives went there and reviewed surveillance footage and watched as the same couple from the hotel purchased a huge flat screen TV using their credit card. It is always a flat screen TV. Detectives needed to figure out who this couple was. They looked into Carrie and Stevens' past and found that only six months earlier, their Durham home had burned down. They contacted the police who handled that case and asked what they knew. The department said they believed the fire was due to arson and their only suspect was Alex Turner, their son. With that, Myrtle Beach detectives looked further into Alex. Oxygen reported that they found he was very financially dependent on his parents due to his criminal history and drug dependency struggles, not due to his make-believe assassin status. Because of those issues, Alex's relationship with his parents had gotten more and more strained. After finding that out, detectives were starting to think the young man in the footage might be Alex Turner, but they still didn't know who the woman was. Detectives further learned that just two days before Carrie and Stephen were murdered, Alex had been arrested in Surfside Beach alongside Chelsea Griffin. This was the actual Hansel and Gretel of investigations. One thing led to another, then another, and boom, they had their persons of interest. Detectives wondered if Chelsea could have been the girl who was seen with Alex in that video footage. So they showed the hotel clerk a photo of Alex and Chelsea and confirmed that those were the two people who tried to extend the Turner's stay at the hotel. Now that they knew who the young woman was, they decided to look into her further. Detectives found that Chelsea didn't have any sort of criminal history. None. They went to her apartment to see if she and Alex were there, but they weren't, so detectives kept looking for them. On March 8th, two days after the murders, the Turner's Kia Optima was spotted at an apartment complex in Conway. It wasn't the same complex as Chelsea's, but it was near hers, so detectives started running surveillance from the parking lot. They watched as Chelsea and Alex went into an apartment which belonged to two CCU students. Detectives also saw Tim sitting on the balcony, thankfully unharmed. SWAT was brought in and they ended up arresting Chelsea and Alex without incident. The couple was taken to the station for questioning. When talking to detectives, Alex didn't even try to claim that he was an assassin. Instead, he told them that he'd recently finished a drug rehab program, and after graduating from the program, he moved into a halfway house in North Myrtle Beach, then moved in with Chelsea. Oxygen reported that Alex explained that his parents found out he'd been arrested on March 4th, so they came down to Myrtle Beach to check on him. 
That night, he, Chelsea, and his parents all went out to IHOP together. Alex said the dinner was nice and his parents were finally able to meet Chelsea. Though Alex did say that his parents spent the entire time trying to convince him to go back home with them. Carrie was especially worried about her son and just wanted to keep him safe. Alex said that night, his parents stayed in the Landmark Hotel while he stayed with Chelsea. Alex told detectives he then contemplated actually going back home with his parents. The following day, Alex said he spent the entire day with his parents. Things were going well, so he decided to stay the night in the hotel with them. That evening, they hung out watching TV, and when it came time for bed, Alex put the gun he always carries under his pillow, then fell asleep. Dude literally just got arrested for unlawfully carrying a pistol. Alex said the next thing he knew was he was suddenly woken up to the sound of his gun going off. You might think this is where he says the shooting was accidental, but no. He's about to throw someone else under the bus. Alex told detectives that he looked over and saw Tim standing over his parents. Alex said he turned on the lights and saw that both of his parents were dead. He had no idea what to do, so he panicked. Alex and Tim left the hotel and went to Chelsea's. There, Alex woke Chelsea up and told her that he needed help. They went back to the hotel to see what they could do. Because they couldn't get the bodies out of the hotel without anyone noticing, they decided to hide the bodies under the bed, then left and never went back. Detectives didn't think Alex was telling the whole truth because, duh. They believed he'd been in the hotel during the shooting. However, they knew it wasn't possible for Tim to have been the gunman. Alex was then arrested on two counts of murder and possession of a weapon. He pled not guilty. When detectives spoke to Chelsea, she was quote-unquote extremely defensive. She refused to say anything until she had spoken to an attorney. When she did speak to her attorney, she said that she and Alex hadn't done anything wrong. And even if they didn't kill Alex's parents, hiding their bodies under the bed is still wrong, so yeah. Because detectives had no idea what Chelsea's true role was in the murders, she was arrested on two counts of murder and pled not guilty as well. At Chelsea's bond hearing, she told the judge, my faith rests solely in my attorney and my innocence. ABC 15 reported that at Alex's bond hearing, he told the judge that he had recently finished a rehab program for PTSD, not drugs, and so that's new and really easy to prove, so stupid lie on his part. Alex also told the judge that he had evidence to show he was innocent in the whole case. The judge cut his ass off and he did not get to speak any further. On April 15th, Chelsea finally told her attorney the truth about what happened, that she had only helped hide Carrie and Stephen's bodies. The attorney told Chelsea that they should go to the police, so that's what they did. Chelsea told detectives that on the night of March 5th, Alex stayed at the hotel with his parents. She didn't expect him to come back that night, but he did. At around 4 or 5 a.m., he woke her up and said that his parents were dead. Alex told her that he and his uncle had gone outside to smoke, and when they got back to the room, his parents had been shot dead. Alex said that his DOD commander was standing over their bodies. Before Alex could do anything, his commander jumped off the 12th-story balcony and ran away. To be clear, this is an imaginary DOD ninja commander. Alex explained that his ninja commander got angry when he found out that Alex didn't want to kill people anymore. 
So he was saying that his ninja commander decided to murder Alex's parents and frame him for everything. Alex told Chelsea that he needed her help covering things up so that he wouldn't get framed. Wanting to help, Chelsea said that she'd do anything that needed to be done. So Alex took Chelsea to the Landmark Hotel, and when they walked into the room, Carrie and Stephen were both lying on the bed. After realizing they couldn't move their bodies out of the hotel without someone noticing, Alex suggested they move his parents under the mattress and the box spring. Chelsea told detectives that she agreed to move the Turner's bodies because she was scared to say no. When they were done, they packed up Tim's stuff and left out the back entrance. Once they were gone, they went to stay with some of Chelsea's friends. Detectives could tell that Chelsea still believed Alex was working for the Department of Defense. They told Chelsea that Alex was not an assassin. Instead, he was an unemployed piece of shit who had manipulated her into helping him. Chelsea lashed out and said that wasn't true, that they didn't know Alex. But detectives told her that she was the one who didn't know Alex and followed that up with a copy of his criminal history. Chelsea later told Oxygen that it took her a long time to believe what they were telling her. When she finally did, she was overwhelmed with guilt. She said, I hate myself every time I think about what I did. I didn't pull the trigger, no, but I was too scared to do the right thing. Detectives believed Chelsea's version of events. They didn't think she had anything to do with the murders and that she had only helped Alex after the fact. With that, Chelsea's charges were downgraded to accessory after the fact to murder. She now faced up to 15 years in prison, which was way better than what she would have faced if the murder charges had stuck. After her charges were downgraded, Chelsea was released on a $50,000 bond. My Hori News reported that she was ordered to stay with her parents who lived in Virginia. Chelsea had an 11 p.m. curfew and had to submit to random drug and alcohol testing. She was also not allowed to have any contact with relatives of the victim or any co-defendants, meaning Alex. Almost six months later, on October 12th, Alex changed his plea to guilty of the two counts of murder. He was sentenced to 47 years in prison without the chance of early parole. Following Alex's plea, the prosecutor released a statement that read in part, My heart goes out to the friends and family members of the Turners and their time of loss. Nothing will ever be able to make this horrible event right. Another six months later, on March 23, 2016, a now 20-year-old Chelsea entered an Alfred plea to accessory after the fact to murder. We've talked about Alfred pleas in a recent episode, but it basically means that the defendant isn't admitting guilt, just that the prosecution has enough evidence to convict them. WPDE reported that the prosecution did not recommend a specific sentence to the judge. In the end, the judge sentenced Chelsea to a term that would not exceed five years. Because Chelsea had been 19 years old at the time of the murders, the judge sentenced her under the Youthful Offender Act. Detectives were never able to figure out why Alex killed his parents. Various media outlets have reported that police said the double homicide was the result of a domestic dispute, which is pretty vague and just means that people living together or in the same household had an altercation. Detectives further told Oxygen that they believe Alex killed his parents because he didn't want to go back to North Carolina with them. He wanted to stay in Myrtle Beach with Chelsea where he could do whatever he wanted. But that still just doesn't seem like a strong enough motive to kill your parents. Not that any motive is ever, but Alex was a grown adult. He didn't have to go back home with his parents if he didn't want to. If he truly wanted to be with Chelsea, he could have just stayed in Myrtle Beach. 
Some have wondered if Alex told his parents he was going to stay and that they told him it was fine, but that they'd be cutting him off financially. That Alex couldn't handle that, so he killed his parents, the only people who had stuck by his side through everything. After serving 18 months, Chelsea was released. She later told Oxygen, To this day, I still feel guilty. I'm told by all my peers, you know, he still would have done it. He would have found a way to do it, and I still blame myself. Chelsea said Alex has tried to contact her, but she ignores him. She's just trying to move on with her life. Alex, on the other hand, is still in prison. Because he can't be released early, he will stay in prison until 2062 when he is 71 years old. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Carrie and Steven's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of this episode, and it's time to share a review that made my whole entire day, and I got shit for this uh, last week. Somebody's saying that like, oh, I'm super self-righteous because I read these reviews, but in case it's not clear, I read these because people are nice, and I want people to be recognized for doing nice things. I think a lot of times when we get upset about something, we have all this energy to let people know about it, but taking time to do something nice is pretty much the best thing ever. So I wanted to thank people and name them by name because they're awesome. So hopefully I've made that clear. Anywho, this is from the username baby number two coming soon. So first of all, congrats on the baby. We love them already. Baby number two coming soon wrote, what an absolute freaking queen. I love this podcast and have been listening for a few years. I love how Heather says it like it is and her Heatherisms keep the show witty. Honestly, it's like listening to a conversation with a friend. Her compassion for the victims is always a priority and she makes that clear. Love her and this podcast. I love you and I love that you love the podcast and shout out for the loyalty staying here for years. You're the best. Um, Thank you as always, for taking the time to do something nice and say something nice. Uh, the BMTC fam loves you. So excited about your baby. I love you, Gabe. I'll talk to you.